Our Father, we are humbled to realize that you've asked us to come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive from your good hand because you care for us. You have a perfect love for us. Your care is without bound. You, you're working all things together for our good. You've asked us to rejoice and to enjoy your presence and your care. And you've asked us to come boldly to give you praise, thanksgiving and honor. And, and then after that, to uh, put our requests uh, to you. Um, but Father, we do thank you for working all things together for our good and for the precious promises that we have. And there are so many of them. And their their content is so overwhelmingly wonderful, Father, um, to realize the full extent of the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross of Calvary and and the uh, the full payment of our sins and uh, our sins never to be brought against us, Father. Thank you so much for that. That uh, even our Lord uh, Himself. Uh, is interceding for us uh, as the enemy, of course, the enemy of our souls does bring accusations uh, often, but that the Lord intercedes for us is most precious. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that we always have a place to rest and that there's a calm uh, in our spirits and, and, and hearts as we trust and rely fully on you. So, Father, I thank you for that great work in us. So, Father, we uh, have so much to be thankful for. Uh, we thank you for the liberties we've had in this land, but they've been increasingly eroded. At least the protection of them has been eroded. They, the liberties come from you, Father, but but uh, our government with this constitutional Republican form of government is being successively eroded over time by those that do not want to submit to your principles in government and uh, in life. I mean, they are in rebellion against you, Father, and we see that uh, on every side. We pray for our own state here that you would work to protect our, our circumstances legally in the, in the state government and the local governments, and we pray for our, our governor, who stands against uh, this rapid movement in the wrong direction in some ways. At least, Father, we pray for him that he'd have strength and ability to refuse uh, these attacks on our basic liberties and freedoms and to substitute instead uh, rules, regulations, uh, taxes, other things that are contrary to our well-being. Uh, Father, I just pray that you'd support him. Father, I pray for our president um, and those that support uh, true liberty and justice uh, as he does seem to do in so many ways father we pray that you would encourage him strengthen him and bless those that uh, would serve with him and since the service uh, that is right and proper brings judgment from so many in our land today father uh, even destruction even personal destruction um, so many have suffered that, Father, who have stood for the truth in our government. But, 
Father, I, I just pray that they would have boldness, that you'd energize them, strengthen them, encourage them, that they would not be willing to compromise, no matter what the consequences are, and that you'd use that, Father, greatly, as you already have in our nation at this critical time in its history. Father, bless our time now as we open your word. We look forward to this time now, and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I keep promising that we're we're finishing up <laughs> this section of our studies in the long war against God, and we are. Um, I thought last time would be the final time, and then I realized we've left some verses still un, un, um, untaught here uh, at the end of Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, and those verses are so precious and so wonderful. I I felt like we, we could not go on uh, until we looked at them carefully, and therefore we'll do that today. So I would just say this, that uh, this is part nine of uh, our studies in the dispensation of the mystery, the dispensation of the grace of God revealed to Paul for the saints who are living today, the members of the body of Christ, and specifically our focus has been on the rapture recently and uh, the catching up into heaven's glory. Um, we'll call this uh, final segment on that subject simply the summit. <laughs> the summit. And uh, I like mountain climbing. I don't do it anymore, but I have enjoyed it, but uh, not been that serious about it. But as a family, we did it to a limited degree. And we we like uh, uh, movies on the subject. There are many movies made these days about it. And I saw one recently that was quite uh, <laughs> impressive on the climbing of one of the highest peaks in the Swiss Alps. And it's called the Weisshorn Mountain. And it's difficult to climb. And uh, as we watch that progression as three different teams uh amazingly met at the top at the same time and safely so um it reminded me you know how how much of a a view you have of everything surrounding you once you get to the top once you get to the summit and when you get to the summit you really see the lay of the line, land well in that particular movie the photography was really quite quite exotic. I'm forgetting now how many peaks they said were in the Alps uh, in in Central Europe there in the Alps range that were above 4,000 meters high. Okay. Uh, 4,000 meters. Well, we have 48 peaks above 4,000 feet high here in uh, this area, right? And some people we know have actually climbed all of them. But it's over three times higher there than here. And those mountains there are all covered by glaciers, right? <clears throat> um, so seeing that from the summit is quite exotic. Well, today we have uh, the privilege of seeing from the summit 
the uh, rapture of the body of Christ revealed. And uh, we've been seeing that uh, for a while now. Uh, we've looked at a number of different scriptures and have seen very clearly revealed through Paul's uh, writing to the churches that uh, that the rapture will occur and when it will occur and how significantly different God's work is today uh, compared to what he said he would do prophetically for the nation of Israel. So how very different his work is today. It's so different that that eventually we're going to be called out of the earth altogether so that God can refocus on his people, Israel. Uh, we cannot live in the same realm uh, which they will be in at that time. Once we've been taken out of this earth, and out of this world and caught up to be with uh, Christ in the air and and meet all of the other saints that have already gone before uh, and then caught into the third heaven. Once that's happened, God will refocus on Israel. And uh, that will be called indeed the time of Jacob's trouble. So the rapture or the blessed hope, as Paul calls the rapture uh, in uh, one of his letters, that is the event that will complete the dispensation of the grace of God. That that event is pre-tribulational in timing is clear based upon Paul's teaching. We've looked at all those scriptures, except for the end of Second Thessalonians. We've considered them all carefully. Romans chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, and then in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, all of those scriptures and more, we could add Second Timothy 4, Titus 2, and so forth, provide clear teaching concerning the work of God today under grace and how that work will have to cease before the Lord God can refocus on Israel, which he will do in the tribulation period. So it's absolutely necessary for the church uh, to be caught up out of this world before the tribulation period begins. Uh, because of that, Paul is able to powerfully exhort the members of the body of Christ concerning his coming, concerning the gathering uh, to him, because uh, to exhort us uh, based upon how this dispensation ends will be a great, great and powerful exhortation, right? Because God is going to deliver us from the coming tribulation. That's a great, great promise for us. It's very consoling for our spirits. It's very uh, uh, wonderful to hear that that's what we look for. That's what we expect. It is the deliverance from this world. It is not the entering in to the time of Jacob's trouble and all the sufferings and trials that will come upon this earth at that time. We're not looking forward to that at all. We're looking forward to the rapture. So when Paul exhorts, he's able to exhort based upon the truth of the rapture. And that's what we've seen here in uh, these various scriptures. Okay, so let's get right into it uh, in Second Thessalonians uh chapter 2. And uh, by way of review, la last time we looked at Second uh, Thessalonians, the first part of chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 5, 
And uh, <clears throat> Linda, I'd, a- I'd like to ask uh, you to read there. Let me give out the reading assignments now. <clears throat> Since I failed to give out the reading assignments, <laughs> uh, Linda, you'll have Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 5. Patty, you'll have Second uh, Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7. Ted, you'll have Second Thessalonians 2, verses 8 through 12. Verses 8 through 12. And uh, then let's go back to you, Linda, for Second Thessalonians 2. Verses 13 through 17. And then at the end, Patty verses, uh, chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians, verses 16 through 18, which are the final words there of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonian believers. So, uh, that, those are the reading assignments for today. So, as we get started today and as we see how Paul exhorts the believers in Thessalonica by virtue of the truth of the rapture. Let's just uh, see how that goes. Linda, would you please read for us there? Second Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 5. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that, as that the, the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Okay, thank you, Linda. Well, so Paul exhorts, says he beseeches them. That's a very strong word for the word exhort. He exhorts them by the coming and by our gathering together unto him. And he'd already taught them this, he says. So they shouldn't have been all concerned that some time had passed. The false teachers had come into the church and had told them they were already in the day of the Lord, uh, as you can see there from verse 2, right? Uh, but they shouldn't have accepted that false teaching, but many of them had. And so they had lost their confidence, and they were no longer in rest. In fact, in fact they were very anxious, uh, wondering what was going to happen next and what kind of trials they would soon be in. So Paul says that day, meaning the day of Christ or, or the day of the Lord, will not occur until the falling away has happened first. Now, as I pointed out last time, that word translated falling away there, uh, if we pronounce the Greek word, this is the Greek word, apostasia, apostasia, it's from that Greek word that we get our English word apostasy. But apostasy is a departure from the truth of God. The word apostasia doesn't mean apostasy. 
It really means a departure or a falling away, okay? But the context will de- will determine in what way the word is being used. In other words, what what the separation or the departure is from, okay, that will be determined by the context. In fact, in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 and Mark 10, all of which refer back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, which is the great chapter on divorce, okay, and remarriage, uh, back there under Moses' law, right? Uh, <clears throat> the word apostasia is used uh, to talk about the separation or the divorce, okay? And so if if that were translated apostasy, nobody would know what, what was being referred to. But the word is divorce or, or separated um, uh, in the English translation because of the apostasy isn't really an apostasy doctrinally, but it's just simply a separation. In that case, the two marriage partners were divorced, right? And it's called an apostasia in the Greek. Okay, so that, I think, should give us plenty of reason uh, to... Um, to interpret these verses in Second Thessalonians rather differently than most people have interpreted them. Those that don't rightly divide always will have us uh, in the middle of either the tribulation or they may even deny that that will ever exist, but they'll have us uh, in the middle of that great trial that Satan will eventually bring to this earth, right? One way or the other, right? And so they would not have us to understand what Paul is writing about here. They would use the word apostasy here, even, uh, as if it's some kind of great uh, deviation from accepted truth that the believers were supposed to be looking out for and watching for. Well, let me ask you this question. (laughs) What could that great uh, error be? I mean, uh, how many heresies have there been in the last 2,000 years? How would any believer know they were in the great time of rebellion uh, that Paul was referring to, if that, in fact, is the proper interpretation of this? There'd be no signposts on the wall saying, oh, by the way, we've now reached the great apostasy, right? No, those apostasies have occurred all along, right? Uh, the largest uh, church in the world naming the name of Christ is so filled with apostasy uh, that that has been there for so many centuries that there should be no question about this at all. So Paul isn't talking about uh, being aware and noticing whether or not an apostasy has occurred. He's talking about a departure, a great departure. Uh, falling away, it's called here in the King James, which I think is is somewhat of a poor translation, unless you're thinking about how the earth looks when you're caught up into heaven's glory. Boy, it will certainly be falling away from us then, will it not? And falling away into insignificance. So I would say, okay, the falling away must hap- happen first. In other words, the rapture, which is the subject here, Remember, he's just exhorted them based upon it, based upon the the coming of the Lord and by our gathering together unto him. In other words, the rapture into heaven's glory, right? So the rapture is the subject, and Paul now in several different ways refers to it. So he says, 
that that day of, of great trial that will come upon this earth called the day of Christ or the day of the Lord, that cannot occur until we're taken off this earth, until we're out of the picture. And that's what he says in verse 3. And we looked at that last time. Once we are raptured, then verses 4, verse 4 and so forth will be fulfilled, uh, where the man of sin is revealed. In other words, he was hidden, but now he is revealed. And uh, he will, of course, in the midpoint of the tribulation period, sit in the temple of God and reveal himself to be, uh, uh, purport himself or, or offer himself to be, in fact, the Lord God. Um, Antichrist is substitute for Christ, right? Taking his place and that's what occurs at that time. But that cannot happen until we're already raptured and out of this world altogether. That's what the first part of chapter 2 here is saying. Okay, now let's move ahead because uh, in the next verses here in Thessalonians, we see three things, really, that I want us to focus on today. First of all, and, and this, this, by the way, fits in with the overall theme, which is that Paul is revealing the character of the times, and he's contrasting the character of our times under grace with the character of the times coming in the future after we are raptured, namely during the tribulation period. So he's, he's comparing and contrasting, mostly contrasting the character of the times. Okay, so first of all, the Apostle Paul here is revealing the character of the lawlessness under grace. That's in the next couple of verses. Then after that, the character of the lawlessness in the tribulation period. We'll see how different that is, right? And then finally, he's going in the last verses uh, in chapter 2 and in those Final verses in chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians, he's going to exhort us based on the abundance of grace available today. And, and I think this is just such a wonderful teaching. It's really blessed me as I've been studying it again in preparation for this morning. I hope it will be a blessing to you. So first of all, the apostle reveals the character of the lawlessness. So I keep mentioning that. Uh, we just saw that the man of sin would be revealed once the rapture has occurred. That word in the Greek translated sin is really the word for lawlessness, right? The man of lawlessness, the man of the lawlessness. <laughs> It'll be uh, displayed in an absolute form at that time uh, in Satan's uh, representative there upon this earth, who will even sit down in the temple of God and display himself as if he is God himself. Right? In fact, he will display himself as if he's the Christ, <laughs> the Messiah, right? Okay, so first of all, the apostle reveals the character of the lawlessness which occurs today under grace. And Patty, would you read those verses for us, please? Verses 6 and 7. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity is already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. 
Well, I said last week I was very sad to report that uh, though I love the King James, uh, this is one place where probably we have the worst translation imaginable, this section. I think it's because the translators were, were contrary to the dispensational plan of God in their understanding. <clears throat> they took what what is called the amillennial position, that there won't even be a literal millennium upon this earth, and there won't be a literal uh, tribulation upon this earth that precedes the kingdom, right? Uh, they denied that because that was the standard position of the Catholic Church, and in the Protestant Reformation, uh, that particular understanding didn't come through. Uh, none of the uh, of the reformers uh, could see clearly th- how literal the prophecies must be taken regarding that time, right? So they allegorized uh, the prophecies and somehow read the church into them, and that was a great. Uh, disgrace to say the least right and and here in this section the translators are translating in such a way that it confuses the truth rather greatly because uh, there are several words that are translated in strange ways here Uh, verse six we see the word withholdeth you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time right um And then verse 7, the mystery of iniquity, really the mystery of lawlessness, okay, does already work. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. The word let is exactly 180 degrees opposite from what it should be. Uh, This is the same Greek word translated withholdeth in the previous verse. So really this should just go like this. Now, ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now withholds will withhold until he be taken out of the way. That's what it says. Okay. Uh, well, so what is the meaning of it? We looked at it last week. I felt like we went through it a little too quickly and we needed to start here today, but, uh, Really, what he's saying is that there's something holding down or withholding the full manifestation of lawlessness that will occur uh, in the tribulation period. In other words, that lawlessness is is here today, and it's being withheld or stomped down or held down greatly compared to what will happen then. Okay, so he calls this work today of lawlessness a mystery, a sacred secret, because Paul is now revealing what's true in the dispensation of grace. Satan is at work, only he's being held back in many, many ways. He's still real. His work is still uh, miraculous often, right? His miracles are occurring, and uh, many can see them and mistake them for, of course, the work of God, and that's exactly Satan's goal that many would be confused as to what the work of God today really is, right? And so Paul says here, uh, there is a suppressed form of lawlessness existing today, right? And that will continue on until, he says, the restrainer or the the one that's holding it back is taken out of the way. So the big question then is, what is the restrainer, okay? 
and uh, the answer is, I think, I'm quite sure, could be wrong, but I'm quite sure it's not the Holy Spirit, which is uh, what many have said. Um, but the reason I hold to this view is that the Holy Spirit will be very much at work in the tribulation period. It's not as if when we are raptured into heaven's glory, the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. That's far from true. Far, far from true. Okay. In fact, the work of the Holy Spirit in the tribulation period is just magnificent. Um, because after all, God uh, is going to be drawing uh, many Jews to salvation at that time. There are going to be many who are martyred. Many will stand till the end and then be martyred. And the Holy Spirit will be at work in their lives. To say that the Holy Spirit is not present in the tribulation period is, is just impossible. I mean, it's an impossible view. And yet that is the common view um, by those even that are pre-tribulational in their understanding. But I don't think that what is what Paul is revealing here. I believe what he's revealing is that it is the church that is the restrainer. Okay? We are holding back Satan's work today uh, very, very greatly. If we were not here, it would be the full-blown manifestation of Satan everywhere. Okay? Just like it will be as soon as we're removed. So when we're removed from the earth and taken into heaven, Satan is then released, and he's free then to do what he plans to do in the tribulation period. So the church is the restrainer. Uh, of course, the Lord God is working through the church. The Holy Spirit's at work in us. Uh, Christ himself is uh, with us to provide us with this new life and, and to meet our needs and so forth fully. Uh, and that work will be ended at the time of the rapture. But the Holy Spirit will not be removed from the earth at all. His ministry will certainly change in many ways from what it is today. So I'm, I believe that the, uh, the true understanding of, of, of verses 6 and 7 is that the church is the restrainer. Uh, we are uh, suppressing the work of Satan in so many ways. And when we're taken out of the way <laughs> and caught up into heaven's glory, Satan is then free to do whatever the Lord God allows him to do, right? And uh, that's really the meaning here. It's a profound teaching, really, when you think of it, uh, that the church has such power. And yet, why wouldn't it? Uh, the church is the central uh, way in which God is working today in the world, right? He's working through grace in the hearts of those who are members of the body of Christ, Spiritual warfare, therefore, is our privilege. It is a real thing. And if we think somehow we're without power to carry out God's plan for us today, we're wrong, right? We have great power. Uh, Paul exhorts the believers in Ephesians to fight a spiritual battle. He says our, our, uh, our enemies are heavenly in nature, right? He's talking about Satan and his... Uh, his angels, and so forth. So um, we fight spiritual battles, and God gives us uh, spiritual power to wage those battles. And those spiritual battles that are waged by the church suppress the working of Satan very, very greatly compared to what it would be otherwise. That's the whole teaching here in this section. I think that's pretty clear. 
Okay. Now let's go on to the second part. The apostle in these next verses reveals the character, the nature of the lawlessness that will exist after we've been removed. Okay, so what's going to happen after the church is removed from the world? Well, there will be the full revelation of satanic lawlessness and evil. Okay, so... Ted, would you please read for us 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall give them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Thank you, Ted. Well, once the church, the body of Christ, is removed from this earth, Satan's full work is revealed. In all of, you could say, his glory. In other words, what he manifests is his glory, which is truly, thoroughly, thoroughly evil, right? Satan's glory is thoroughly evil. The lawlessness that he will uh, perpetrate upon this earth and against the true people of God, of course, uh, is it's not unlimited, but it's very, very great indeed. Again, miracles, signs, and wonders are right at the heart of it. Uh, those exist today. Satan works them uh, in order to deceive God's people, right? But uh, what will happen at, happen at that time will be the culmination of that, even to the point where, uh, and we looked at this in, in great detail in times past here on Sunday morning, but even to the point of, images being brought to life and the mark of the beast being required upon all, right? And all those that accept the mark of the beast uh, will, of course, be lost and none of them are saved. The true believers will uh, be saved and, and of course, uh, delivered. They will not submit to Satan's lying wonders, it says here. All power and signs and lying wonders, right? But the rest of the world will, and what it says here is that there's no second chance. <laughs> Those believers today are going to be judged at, uh, later because of the strong delusion so that they will have received. Uh, no, nobody who believes the lie can be saved. Uh, this lie, we don't know the nature of it in, in detail, but I think it has to do with the identification of uh, Antichrist, right? And uh, whether he's the Christ or, in fact, uh, a, a an imposter, right? That's the ultimate issue at that time. We see that as Paul reveals the character of that time, that it's so different from the time in which we're living today, okay? And so Paul is able, based upon the character of these different times, the times we're living in now versus the times then, uh, to exhort these Thessalonians. And it's a very powerful way of writing to simply say, 
you know you're not in that time. I mean, are those things occurring? Absolutely not. Therefore, we're not in that time. If we were in that time, <laughs> then these false teachers would be right about the rapture, that it will not occur, right? Uh, there'll only be one union with the Lord, and that would be at the second coming. No, no. You know that we're not in the tribulation period just by taking literally those things that are written concerning it, whether in prophecy or here, as Paul teaches in this letter. And that finishes up the second part here, which is uh, to show the contrast there between these uh, times, the time we're living in now versus what it will be like in the tribulation period. Now he finishes up by uh, exhorting the believers and uh, I wish we had more time for this, but the exhortation is a very beautiful one here. And Linda, I would like you to read it for us. It's in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation for sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father. Whoops. Sorry, my computer just went into a went black. Um, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and hath given us everlasting consultation, cons consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Well, thank you, Linda. Well, that's a gracious exhortation. It's not an exhortation to look for the signs and the wonders and the miracles that would show that somehow the Lord's coming is near, right? Matthew 24 and 25, Luke Luke 21, Mark 13, all, all these scriptures. Uh, uh, in, in them, Christ is exhorting his disciples to look for the signs of the times and to be ready because when they come, you need to do this and that and so forth. This is not an exhortation of that kind at all. This is not an exhortation uh, under the terms and conditions of the gospel of the kingdom, but under the terms and conditions of grace. We live in the dispensation of the grace of God. Notice he's restating fundamentals here, fundamental truths, and he's exhorting them based upon these truths. And these truths are unconditionally provided for us, right? It's not as if you have to endure to the end to receive these benefits. These benefits are already provided for us. He says, and we could look at the list carefully, but you can look at this later. Uh, he says, even God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation. And, you know, this was the greatest work of God we can even imagine. Through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Well, I shouldn't have said the greatest. The greatest is the shed blood of Christ that's provided for this. Wonderful blessing, right? But but he then says we've been called by our gospel. That's Paul's gospel of grace, right? To the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even that, I think, is pointing forward to the rapture. When we are caught up to meet Christ in the air, as we already learned from 1 Corinthians 15, 
our whole nature is going to be transformed into the glorious uh, body uh, and glory of Christ, right? You, you remember that, I'm sure. So, and notice verse 16, uh, when he gives the, the, the final part of the exhortation, he says, Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, who has loved us and has given us, that's past tense, has already given us, and it's continuing in its blessings to the present time, and will go on for, as he says here, forever, has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through the law? No, through grace. You see, it's so clear. Comfort is our privilege, he says in verse 17. And he says, may you be established, therefore, in the realm of every good word and work. Just like in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? By grace saved through faith and, and saved unto good works. So the good works don't have to uh, be there in order to endure to the end. We already uh, are, are saved. Now the issue is, will we bear fruit? And that's a, a gracious exhortation. You can read that and rest in that truth because that's the promise of God through Paul for us today. Now, I just want us to read these last verses because, you know, when Paul ends the letter to the Thessalonians, notice how he ends it. Because, again, this is so appropriate under the terms and conditions of grace in which we are living today. In Second Thessalonians, Patty, can you read that for us? Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle. So I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I think we all need to say amen. Okay, notice this Pauline kind of expression where he multiplies the terms in order to make his point stronger. He says, the Lord of peace himself give you peace. And then he says, always. And then he says, by all means. So if we don't have peace today, it's because we've turned our hearts away from the Lord. We're not looking for signs of his coming, therefore, as believers would have to do who were living in the Great Tribulation period, because what would be coming forward? Uh, Satan's greatest uh, uh, lying wonders and so forth, right? And all of that trial that will come <laughs> upon the earth and upon the believers at that time. Notice also he says uh, something quite, really quite marvelous. He says, uh, Here's my own mark on the page. He says, uh, this is my own hand. Because, see, Paul, because of his eyesight problem, couldn't write uh, many things uh, in these letters. He had someone writing for him. But when he got to the end, he had to put his mark on the page. And what does he write? He, he's not making a mark like an X or something like that. He's writing, actually, these words. And he says in another place when he writes him how large I'm writing because his eyesight was so poor he had to write very large. But in the original writing, he then wrote, 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, Paul. Okay? This is the mark of the Apostle Paul. Interestingly, I think it's very interesting, all of Paul's letters have this mark at the end. And none of the non-Pauline letters have it, at least not this way. Okay? Very interesting. And Paul says that's his mark. He says it's the token in every epistle. So, praise the Lord. Uh, let's take to heart what Paul has written here. The tribulation uh, will not come until we, the members of Christ's body, have been caught up into heaven's glory. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise, okay? Be bold to share this testimony with all that the Lord brings your way. Well, praise the Lord. I've gone a little long today. Are there any comments or questions before we close today? Well, I could ask you all, uh, when is the rapture going to occur? And your answer would be before the tribulation. You could also say perhaps today, right? Or at the end of the period of grace. <laughs> yes, it'll be at the end of the period of grace. It will be uh, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, right? And the last one <laughs> saved, that will mark the end of it. Absolutely. I, I envision it as like, a, you know, uh, an individual gets saved and it's like, that's the one. And that's boom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what will happen. And we'll look at that scripture again next time. Next time I'm switching over, dramatically switching, to the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay, because we have to see that again. And then we'll be shortly thereafter finishing up our uh, long war against God series. So I hope it's been a blessing for you. Are there any final comments before we go to the Lord in prayer today? Okay. Father God, thank you for your great blessing that rests upon us as believers today. Thank you that uh, we live under grace, that therefore, as Paul often writes, we're not under law, but we are under grace. And uh, we're therefore not bound by that, but we're also liberated from great power that the flesh has when uh, someone places themselves under a law. So, Father, thank you that we may, may therefore boldly bear fruit in this world in which we live. I pray that our testimony would be pure and would be consistent with your working today under grace. And I pray, Father, that you would use our testimony of our salvation, our salvation, due to the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and his complete payment for our sins and the sins of the world. I pray, Father, that our testimony would focus on that, that sin and sins have been dealt with, and that sinners, if uh, they do uh, take Christ as Savior, Father, that they are therefore also uh, delivered from future judgment. Uh, once and for all. So, Father, I thank you for that hope that we have. Uh, please uh, give us a sweet testimony uh, as we still live in this world, and uh, may you be greatly uh, blessed in us as we are greatly blessed in you. 
And we would thank you, Father, in Christ's name. 